Who Gets to Decide, a liberty-based podcast that brings a little piece of sanity to a confused society drowning in a culture of craziness. And here is your host, Seth Martin. All right, what's up everybody and welcome to another episode of Who Gets to Decide. This is Seth Martin, your host. Thank you for joining me this evening. Glad you are here and happy you're listening. Well, the WEF, you know, met a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, look, this guy, Klaus Schwab, is creepy, right? I mean, he sounds like, I don't know, he well, he's German, so he's got that real deep kind of accent, you know, sounds kind of rough around the edges and whatnot. But he's just weird. I mean, the guy's just weird. I don't know how he's been able to assemble um, a group like this in the first place. And I, I'm not sure what what his power is over everybody. But they kicked off the meeting, and I think I, I think I said, I think I told you guys that it was really just boring, mostly. There wasn't really th- anything interesting at all other than Al Gore's rant about climate change, which we are going to cover. But I want to cover today, I want to cover Klaus Schwab's opening remarks. And the reason is, is because he's, he's laying out um, this year's theme. And it has to do with fragmentation, you know, fragmentation in societies and what's causing it. And, uh, and, and, you know, his, his thinking is along those lines. And I want to address some of this because my feeling is they're the ones causing it. <laughs> you know, they're the ones causing the inflation. They're the ones causing the COVID regime. They're the ones causing uh, the vaccine mandates. They're the ones causing all this stuff that you and me are recoiling against. And, but they, you know, they don't really have the, the presence of mind or the wherewithal to get that. And I don't know, I just want to play this. I want to comment on what he sees are the problems and just try to help reveal, you know, who these people are. Uh, These people are the ones that want to fly around in their jets and then come lecture you about climate change. You know, just just a G5, okay, like a small jet, not one of these bigger ones like like uh, Bill Gates flies around in. But, you know, you'd have to drive your car for like 10 years to have as much carbon dumped in the atmosphere as one like four-hour trip from one of those airplanes. I mean, the, the presence uh, or the lack of presence or awareness, self-awareness, of these people is really astounding. And, you know, it's just, it, it's, it, it reminds me of the, uh, the, um, what's the saying, you know, the law is for thee, not for me or something like that. You know, it's do what I say, not what I do. It's all that kind of stuff, that hypocritical stuff. And I don't even think they care that they're hypocritical. I think they just, 
think that they, because they're wealthy, they must be smarter than everybody else. And they know better how to manage our lives than we do. And so they automatically assume the role of, you know, daddy in that kind of scenario. So with that in mind, I want to play Klaus Schwab. Uh, I've got it broken into four or five clips. Uh, and he breaks, he breaks his talk down into four parts, I believe. And they're all, they're all uh, causes of this fragmentation. And he's, he's, he's listing all these individual causes. But the theme is fragmentation. And uh, so I just want to address each one of these and, and talk about his framing and, and I guess maybe speculate a little bit about what they have in store for us. Excellencies, distinguished heads of state and government, excellencies, dear partners and friends of the World Economic Forum, a very cordial welcome to the 2023 annual meeting. We are coming together under the motto, Cooperation in a Fragmented World. At the beginning of this year, we are confronted with unprecedented and multiple challenges. First, our global economy is undergoing deep transformation. The energy transition, the consequences of COVID, the reshaping of supply chains are all serving as catalytic forces for the economic transformation. And the hotspots of this geo-economic remodeling are high inflation, increasing interest rates, and growing national debt. This is particularly hurting low- and middle-income groups. It is exacerbating societal fragmentation. Well, the first thing I have to say is just the, the whole, you know, instead of ladies and gentlemen or something like that, it's, it's excellencies and heads of states and partners of the World Economic Forum. I mean, that's just, I don't know, there's something about that that just rubs me wrong. I guess I just have so much contempt for this group of people and their arrogance, you know, and their... They're just they're I don't know what the word is for it, but it's just it's just disgusting. It disgusts me. <laughs> I don't know if you have the same kind of repulsive feeling in your stomach when you hear this guy talk, but that's just the way I feel about it. So anyway, he talks about the motto of this year's World Economic Forum, and you know it's it's a corporation in a fragmented world. And, you know, he's what he's saying, he's talking about all this global transformation, these economic transformations that are happening all over the globe. And he names them. He says, you know, energy transformation, uh, the, the aftermath of COVID, and the reshaping of the supply chain. Well, 
you know, energy transformation. The one thing I want to say about this is this is not market driven. This is largely government driven. Um, and, you know, you've heard me say it, and I'm going to say it again, but for the Federal Reserve and central banks broadly, you wouldn't have all this money being dumped into these alternative energies. And the reason is, is because they're not economically plausible. Um, and we're going to find that out eventually. Um, there's going to be a reckoning, uh, and it's going to be in either increased cost or uh, the lack of supply. There's going to be some sort of disruption that uh, is going to make what I'm saying evident. Uh, but it takes time. You know, it takes time for these. I mean, there's, these are real assets that are being deployed in uh, energy grids all over the world. And we've seen uh, the cracks of this forming. You know, we saw this in Sri Lanka where Sri Lanka was loaned billions of dollars to uh, fund infrastructure projects in the country, but there were strings attached. There were ESG strings attached and they took it. And then what happened with like their farming and their energy is the, the investments they made weren't very productive. So therefore they couldn't pay the loans on the debts and they defaulted and the company, the country collapsed. Um, and so this is, this is part of what I'm talking about, the consequence. Now, Sri Lanka is a very small, you know, entity. So, you know, something like the United States, as big as we are and as much infrastructure as we have, it's going to take much, much more damage before it shows up uh, for the average person to see the effects of. And then he talks about COVID. You know, COVID, I mean, who, I, I just can't imagine that there's a listener of this show uh, that, that doesn't think COVID is, was just a complete disaster. From the lockdowns to the mandates to this endless uh, supply chain of boosters, uh, to the cover-up in the media. Um, they're starting to blame cardiac arrest on climate change. I mean, they, these people think we are complete imbeciles. And it's just, um, you know, I guess that's part of the fragmentation they're trying to avoid, right? And then this shaping, the reshaping of the supply chain. Now, this is a real thing. One of the things that COVID showed us is that uh, our consumer supply chain is very dependent on shipping um, the ports of L.A. and Long Beach, for example, where unions have a, a chokehold on, on um, trucking and other types of vital services that it takes to unload all those products in those beaches, I mean, in those uh, uh, ports. I think we, we uh, in, the, in the program where we talked about that, we found that uh, more than 40% of all goods and services pass through the ports in L.A. and Long Beach. And so all these laws that they've placed on trucks now that you can't even have, a, you can't operate a truck in the state of California now if it's older than 2010. So anybody that was driving a truck for a living, um, and, and the truck was older than 2010, they had to leave the state and go work somewhere else. So this is, this is 
wreaking havoc on our supply chain. So, you know, probably what's going to happen is some of this manufacturing is going to come back to these shores. Um, I think there's already an effort uh, in place to bring um, uh, chip manufacturing back to the U.S. Um, That's one of the reasons we're keenly uh, aware of what's going on between China and Taiwan. You know, Taiwan is one of the largest semiconductor manufacturers uh, on the globe. And part of what the administration is afraid of is that China is going to come in there and take over Taiwan uh, for the semiconductor business. Uh, of course, they could just make their own, but um, uh, maybe they feel like they own the Taiwan semiconductor business. And then, you know, they talk about the hot spots. And I know I'm being long-winded here, but there's so much covered in here. And these hot spots were inflation, increasing interest rates, and growing national debt. Well, who, who created that? I mean, where did the high inflation come from? Well, the expansion of money and credit at the Federal Reserve. Where do the in- increasing interest rates come from? Well, they come from uh, people that buy U.S. Treasuries and who are starting to think they're not such a good deal. So they're demanding higher interest rates to loan that money. And then well, who's in charge of the national debt? Who, who's in charge of the growing national debt? Well, the government is. So these are, these are problems created by the very people sitting in this room at the World Economic Forum. And then, and then lastly, he talks about who's this hurting? Well, it's hurting low and middle income groups And I think that's true. We talked about the middle class here in America. That's the middle three quintiles uh, in the American population. It's definitely hurting this group. Um, This group tends to live on what they make weekly or monthly. uh, And and everything's more expensive uh, from insurance to groceries to gas to just all the things you need to make your life work if you're a, a middle income person. And guess what this is causing? Surprise, surprise, societal fragmentation. Why? Because, well, because people are starting to figure things out, right? They're starting to, they're starting to listen to shows like this. They're going to alternative media because they've, they figured out that the media does nothing but lie to them. And so, you know, this is starting to create cracks in society. And this is something that uh, the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab and his buddies are very, very concerned about. Uh, this, this fragmentation directly impacts their ability uh, to control the global population the way they feel like they should be able to. All right, let's go to the next one. Second, the geopolitical system is also undergoing deep systemic transformation. Internationally, we are moving to what some people would call a messy patchwork of powers. There are superpowers, emerging powers, middle powers, regional powers, rogue states, and also large corporate and social media powers, all competing increasingly for power and influence. As a result, the trend is again moving towards increased fragmentation 
and confrontation. So the next category that he wants to bring to everybody's attention is the geopolitical system and the problems we're seeing there. He's saying, hey, look, it's moving toward a messy patchwork of powers. Um, you know, national powers, regional powers, corporate powers, uh, and even rogue, uh, rogue state powers. And he says this is a big problem. Now, look, what he's talking about, really, I believe, is decentralization. They see a move. Populism, populism, which is what we're experiencing here in America, and by the way, they're experiencing this in other countries too, like Italy, uh, the UK, although the UK, because of its weird parliamentary system, can't seem to, <laughs> can't seem to uh, bring, um, bring the full power into a talking head that really expresses populism, but they're having populism there as well. Um, you're starting to see this in, um, uh, so like New Zealand and Australia, basically COVID is creating this, um, the response to COVID people really, their eyes were opened to who their government really is. I mean, most people and look, I'm the same way, right? You're busy, right? You got to go to work every day. You're focused on that succeeding and whatnot, you don't have time to watch over every little thing that these idiots are doing in our name. COVID was a big deal because, for one thing, uh, people's children were staying home and they were, they were doing school online. And, of course, the parents were home, too. So they're kind of looking into this. They're like, well, I wonder what they're studying. And then Oh, lo and behold, they're teaching them about transgenderism and and they're talking about their sexuality and that you may not really be a boy, you might be a girl and all this kind of stuff. Well, all of a sudden, people are like, holy shit, my government has flipped its lid. And, and this is creating this fragmentation that he's talking about. Uh, now, I'm not saying populism per se is a positive development, but I do believe decentralization is a positive development. Um, nothing would be better for the United States of America than for Washington, D.C.'s budget to be, you know, whittled down to about maybe $10 billion a year. Or let's even say $500 billion a year. And, and just have all the money flow out of the states. Uh, that would be a huge blow to tyranny and a huge win for liberty. Thirdly, our generation has reached a turning point, confronted by truly existential problems. Climate change, exploitation of nature, nuclear possible incidents, or even wars, extreme poverty and viruses. They all can lead to an extinction of large parts of our global population. And we have seen how much dealing with those risks 
such as COVID or global warming, have again fragmented populations. Now he says something, you know, that maybe I agree with, that uh, our generation has reached a turning point. You know, Klaus Schwab, you know, he's, um, he's maybe identified something here that uh, I think he, he may be right about. And I think the turning point is like what we talked about a minute ago. I think, there, I think the turning point is towards some sort of decentralization. But here's what, here's what we need to know about that. The government is not going to give up on that, uh, that centralization of power very easily. And this, could, uh, this, this grip on power that they, that they have and they desire to keep could lead to conflict. Uh, not just conflict um, within different countries, you know, in their own populations, but then also conflict between nations. Um, governments have been known to start wars um, to, you know, spur nationalism and uh, get the people riled up against some enemy and get, it, get its focus off of them. You know, governments, when, when governments kind of become the enemy, they can go find another enemy real fast and, and rally the population to that enemy. And this is a real risk um, for, for our country, for, it, for every country in the whole world, especially in, in a world where nuclear weapons exist. But he says, you know, look, we've reached a generational turning point. And he, he says that this turning point is due to climate change. Uh, now, look, all, everybody here knows how I feel about climate change. Um, I don't know, 20 years ago, they said the Antarctic ice, the ice in Antarctica was melting, and the glaciers were melting in Antarctica. And I don't know, here we are 20 years later, and there's as much ice in Antarctica as there's ever been. I mean, that's just the reality of the situation. Um, sea levels have changed, yes, but it's it's like millimeters. I mean, it's it's hardly even measurable. Um, and sea levels have been changing and rising ever since the last uh, ice age. I think uh, I don't know the last thousand years or so. The the sea level there in New York is about. Uh, a foot higher than it was a thousand years ago or something like that. You'll have to double check me on those numbers, but it's been a long time. But, you know, climate change, I mean, the, the climate changes whether we're here or not. Okay. That, that is just a fact. Um, you can look back over the ge geologic history of the earth uh, long before the combustion engine or the steam engine or anything like that was developed. Um, and so I just, I just don't feel like that, that man himself is causing climate change. I think that, I think that lacks humility. Uh, that, that says that human beings, uh, are not supposed to be here, which I don't believe that's true. Um, uh, there's a, there's a lot of implications to, 
the whole man-made climate change idea. And none of them uh, are in line with uh, belief in, in, in a, greater, uh, a greater God or an intelligent design, you know, however you want to look at that. So, you know, I, I, just, I just think that lacks a level of humility and um, I just think it's wrong. It's flat out wrong. But he does mention, you know, nuclear incidents. Nuclear incidents could very well cause um, some sort of turning point that, um, that could thrust the entire world into, you know, some sort of deep depopulation trend, which he's talking about here. And then, of course, he mentions extreme poverty. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, extreme poverty is uh, definitely on the table in the world of ESG. I mean, we've talked about that, the, the desire for this group to eliminate uh, nitrogen-based fertilizers. And you can see uh, what's, going on with, what's going on in the Netherlands, what, what's going on in uh, some of these poor countries that need World Bank money and, um, you know, for, for infrastructure investment like, like Sri Lanka we talked about earlier. But the Netherlands, you know, the Netherlands, uh, the government basically forced 3,000 farms to close um, earlier this year, or late last year, rather. And that's going to have a huge impact on the food supply. So, you know, are, are people on the edge, you know, of, of extreme poverty, are they likely to die? Well, yeah, they are. They're likely to starve to death. There's likely to be a famine maybe many, many times larger than the famine Russia caused years ago in Ukraine that killed 5 million people. I mean, this could be 100 times that, uh, especially with the way farming and globalization has gone hand in hand. You know, something like in America, something like only 3% farm anymore. You know, the rest of us buy our food through some complicated supply chain that, you know, that ends up in grocery stores, restaurants, and frozen dinners. And so, you know, any kind of breakdown in that system could lead to, um, you know, some sort of famine. So I, I think that's a real possibility, especially for the extreme um, poverty in the world. And then viruses. I mean, look, they've already told us that there's going to be another pandemic. I, I just, that's crazy. We hadn't, we had not had a pandemic in over a hundred years and they're already telling us there's going to be another one within the next 10 years. How, well, how would they know that? Well, they know that because they're creating them. We just saw this report uh, the other night by Project Veritas, uh, where they got uh, this uh, Pfizer executive. <laughs> the whole thing was kind of funny, but then it kind of turned violent. But this Pfizer executive, who I guess was gay, he was on a date, or he thought he was on a date, let's say, and he's trying to impress this person, and he's talking about all these things that Pfizer's doing, and it's just unbelievable. He's saying, yeah, you know, part of what we're going to do is we're just going to create the next mutation of COVID. And then we'll already have a vaccine to fight it. And, and he's, he, he's not, 
he's bragging, but he's also kind of struggling with, you know, the idea. And But this guy's like, he's only like two levels below the CEO. So he's a pretty high-level executive. So these people have already figured out that there's going to be more viruses. And so if you're listening to this show now, you're going to have to decide whether you're going to continue to take these shots, these mRNA shots that are reconfiguring your DNA, likely. I mean, they, they told us it wouldn't, but now there's studies saying that it is. Uh, it is changing your DNA. And uh, we could have a situation where, you know, people, people that have taken the shots get together and have children that are products of two people that have taken shots. And we're not sure what that leads to. Does that lead to increased miscarriages? We, we just don't even really know. And um, I suspect uh, the unvaccinated, it'll probably be something you see on dating sites, vaccinated or unvaccinated, you know? And this is going to be one of the criteria people uh, choose when they, when they meet somebody. Just like, uh, well, this isn't as overt, but you might want to know the, if the person you're dating, do they come from a wealthy family or not, you know, <laughs> or something along those lines. Well, this might be, this might be a question like that. Like, hey, have you been vaccinated? Uh, they're even talking about how potentially it's transmitted through kissing and sexual contact. And so this could be, this could be something that's just really inescapable for the uh, human race. But, you know, we'll just have to, we'll we'll have to wait. I mean, that's very speculative. But uh, there are studies showing that, uh, that supposedly these, the spike protein uh, and the cells that, that it's infected or whatever can, can transmit. I don't know. We'll see. But whatever virus comes about, I don't think that's the thing that's going to depopulate the planet. I think it's going to be the response. It's going to be these vaccines. It's going to be these governments and what these governments do. You know, a lot of people died after COVID just because they were, they were lonely and depressed and they committed suicide or they overdosed. And there was a lot of death like that that just goes uncounted. Um, you know, so, you know, a global depopulation is certainly possible, uh, even if the virus itself, whatever they spring on us, is not that deadly to begin with. And finally, the fourth industrial revolution offers us tremendous opportunities. But at the same time, technologies as computing, quantum computing, blockchain, genetics, and so on, they also could create deep societal fragmentation. We have the ability to collaboratively build a more peaceful, resilient, inclusive, and sustainable world. But to do so, we need to overcome the most critical fragmentation. And the most critical fragmentation is between those who take a constructive attitude and those 
who are just bystanders, observers, and even go into the negative, critical, and confrontational attitude. But the spirit of Davos is positive, is constructive. It means investing into a greener and therefore more sustainable economy, investing into a more cohesive society by providing everyone with the appropriate skills and opportunities, investing into the hard and soft infrastructure that modern societies require. And here in Davos, it means despite all those challenges, it means particularly investing in the spirit and the practice of solving problems through mutual respect and cooperation. We believe that we can do it, that through collective responsibility, innovation, human goodwill and ingenuity, we have the capacity to turn the challenges into opportunities. So this is where he transitions into why we're all here. You know, this fourth industrial revolution, he calls it, uh, is going to be in computing, blockchain, quantum, quantum computing, and genetics. But these could cause deep societal fragmentations. Now, the first thing I thought about when I, when I heard this is I thought, well, computing doesn't cause fragmentation. Blockchain doesn't cause... None of this stuff that he mentions causes fragmentation. What causes fragmentation is when these evil weirdos get a hold of this technology and use it against us to further their goals and to create opportunity and, and um, uh, investment opportunities for themselves at our expense. So, you know, I, it, it's interesting uh, how, he, how he framed that, you know, that these things, these things alone by themselves are going to create deep societal fragmentation. Look, I mean, everybody knows on this show that I don't like, that I, that I think government is at best um, wasteful and um, basically doesn't provide any value uh, to human beings. At, at best. At worst... It's a, it's a it's an organization of people that are basically like the mafia, but they're acting like they're a human rights organization. I mean, the, these people they feel like that because they're in power, they can break the law, they can do things, they can harm people, they can kill people, they can do all kinds of things because they're in power, because you know, somebody voted for them. So, you know, this is, uh, this is just a, the problem with governments, you know. Uh, and so this fourth industrial revolution, th this is not a problem 
other than the fact that these people are trying to figure out how to use all these things against the population. And yeah, that, that will cause deep societal fragmentation. And then he goes on to say, we have the ability, you know, through resilient and peaceful, sustainable, you know, all this kind of stuff to overcome all this critical fragmentation. Well, yeah, you know, just that's the same way Stalin did or the same way Hitler did. You know, he just killed people that don't want to go along with the plan. We talked about this the other night in, in, in a couple programs ago. But, you know, what's interesting is he, he talks about some of the things they're going to have to overcome are, you know, just passive bystanders, you know, just people standing in the way. But then there's also these negative and confrontational people. And they could be a problem. Now, he doesn't go into too much detail about that. But, yeah, you know, if you're trying to uh, force people into doing things they don't want to do, or um, taking away uh, something from somebody they feel like is theirs uh, or is their right, yeah, you're going to have some confrontation, and it's going to be negative. But don't, for, don't fear that because Davos is positive. <laughs> That's what he said. Um, you know, I don't know. He talks about investing in the spirit and... Uh, Proactive of solving of problems through mutual respect and cooperation. I guess he's talking about the mutual respect and cooperation of the people in the room because he's not talking about, I don't think, the mutual respect and cooperation of people around the globe. I don't, I don't think that's what he's talking about. But he basically ends with, hey, look, we have the capacity to turn these challenges into opportunities. And I don't doubt that they... Be- they could become fabulously wealthy, um, conspiring to rope us all into some, you know, something that they get to sell us billions and billions of dollars of, like this vaccine, you know, for COVID. Who knows what'll be next? You know, I'm sure, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of the people in the room, you know, have rights to mining and South American countries and where all these batteries are going to come from. And, you know, who knows? We don't really know. Right. But, um, you can be sure that they're not, they're not intending to use the free market, uh, to improve their situation. They, they, they intend to fix the market in their favor through government power, um, through regulation, and uh, cooperation between governments and between the people in that in that very room. Um, so, look, these people are up to no good. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, and so we need to keep an eye on them. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. I, uh, I try to bring good content uh, to this program. Uh, for you so that you can enjoy and maybe learn a little something along the way and that you don't have to, you know, spend as much time tracking all this information down. I'll bring it to you right here on who gets to decide, but look, you got to come back and listen. And if you do come back and listen, I'll be here tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that to do it all over again.